we'll just recap, recapitulate, relearn, okay, what was going on last week. Starting in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, Paul turned his attention to Christian worship in the corporate gathering. His purpose was to explain what God's people should look like when they come together as one body. At the beginning of the chapter, he commended the Corinthians because they were holding on to the traditions that he had given to them. Specifically, those traditions that displayed an attitude of submission and the distinction between gender roles. But in the back half of the chapter, Paul had no praise for them. They had been practicing the Lord's Supper in a way that was excluding poorer brothers and sisters, and this, of course, was leading to divisions within the church. This goes against everything the church stands for, because as Christ's people, we make up one unified body. This thought will lead Paul to another area of disunity in chapter 12, spiritual gifts. Evidently, the Corinthians had begun to attach greater levels of spirituality to certain gifts, which led to further division, this time between those who possessed these super spiritual gifts and those who did not. Um, he, Steve actually changed it. Uh, on that last slide, it said the great gift, and then underneath it, it said okay gift. First service actually got the word. I thought this was so interesting to show you how, how, how culturally hip we are aren't. Um, it had the word meh. Meh gift. And I thought, and it, you should have seen first service. They were like, what? I think that's a, it's a, it's a wrong spelling. No, it's just a, a cultural spelling. But you have these two kinds of gifts. You've got the great gifts and you've got the lesser gifts. And the Apostle Paul in our chapter this morning in chapter 12 literally is going to be helping us understand something that's deeper than the gift issue. The controversial gifts that exist in the church um, are not the primary purpose of this text. And so there is a time we need to talk about it, maybe even um, spend a number of weeks talking about the spiritual gifts and how they work. Um, this chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, is a big chapter for that. Romans 12 is another chapter that deals with the spiritual gifts. Ephesians chapter 4 is another chapter that deals with the spiritual gifts. And even Peter in his letter deals with the spiritual gifts. So often when we come to texts like this, though, we get almost distracted by the conversation regarding spiritual gifts, and then we miss the point that the apostle is giving to us. And his point connects back to the previous text. That did you know that you are one body? Like, did you know that there are rich people that have really nice parts of their homes in which they could eat? But then the body also has those who are, um, are poorer, and you can't just have them sit on the outside and watch you eat. That's actually not a way that brings honor to God. And so the Apostle Paul lets them know. He is reminding them of something that they know but are not living out. And so he says, I, I need you to remember these things. So much of life is about remembering. That's why when, uh, when people give their lives to Jesus Christ, I saw this picture the other day, um, three young men, Jay and Jacob and, and, uh, and Max, my youngest son, when they got baptized, I saw the picture of them kind of all standing near the baptistry. And I, I've always wanted to remind my son of the commitment that he made. You remember that commitment, son? I need you to live in light of that. 
I need you to remember that. That wasn't just an event. We're actually going to have a baptism after service. A couple of baptisms right after the service where families are going to come together and, and actually celebrate kind of what's going on. And why? Because some people are giving their lives fully to Jesus Christ. And then they have to live that out. Weddings are like that. Even declarations of independence. Hey, let's remember. Let's remember on the 4th. Let's remember like what we're about. And then hopefully we don't just remember on the 4th who we are. Hopefully we don't just remember on our anniversary who we are. Hopefully we're constantly living in light of the commitments or the decisions that we've made. And so the apostle Paul is going to be speaking not about gifts, but actually something that is deeper than the giftedness that we have, and that's this. There is one God, and therefore there is one body. Therefore, whether we recognize it or not, whether we see it or not, whether we live like it or not, there is just one, one church. So let's live from that. I've preached a number of sermons on the issue of unity. Um, This is not one of the only texts that talks about the oneness, but looking back at sermons that I've preached and even kind of playing through in my mind times when I've actually heard it preached, I've actually seen this topic, the topic of church unity, discussed in a way that the Bible really doesn't talk about it in those terms. A number of years ago, in the late 60s, early 70s, um, there was a, a movement of churches around America and around the world that actually said, listen, we need to recognize that as a church, we're one. And so we need to get rid of our distinctiveness, get rid of our divisions. How do we do that? Here's how we do it. We reduce ourselves to this, what are the most foundational, fundamental beliefs? And anything that had any kind of a smell or a distinctive or a difference, they just said, ah, let's just scrap it. And they let go of some pretty big things. They didn't recognize the need for the Bible being the word of God. Ah, too controversial. Jesus, the one way to salvation. The one way to God. Ah, too controversial. Let's just kind of reduce, right, the church into this wonderful idea that we should love one another and care for one another. And then we can all be unified. We can be unified, different faiths, different. We can all be unified if we let go of anything that smells different. Sure, I I guess we'd be unified. Don't, don't know if I want to be a part of a group like that. I mean, they've, they've somehow undone so much of what I believe, so much of what the Bible actually teaches. I get their quest for unity, but unity at the sake of truth? Do we want that? I don't think we want that. That's one way. But the Bible doesn't do that. Paul doesn't say, listen, anything you guys disagree about, just throw it out. Just agree to be kind to each other. Agree to be nice. Agree to just get along. It's not what Paul says. Another way in which I've preached this, and this has really been popular, um, the more that sports becomes a big deal in our lives. We, we kind of look at life like a game. And so here we are, and this is kind of like that halftime huddle. And we're, we're playing a game where we're trying to make a difference in the world, and we're trying to save like all of the institutions that we live in and where we work and our neighborhoods. And so this is the halftime huddle, and I'm your coach, And so I'm here to tell you, hey, we're not playing like a team. We're not playing like a team. 
So we need to start getting along more. We need to start supporting one another and caring for one another. That's what we need. I don't know if you can tell. Have you seen the scoreboard? We're losing. Church attendance is on the decline or whatever kind of issue they want to kind of pick up. I don't think we're making a difference in our culture. And you want to know why it is? It's because we're not united. We're going to lose this game if you guys don't pick it up. All I'm asking you to do is love one another and care for one another. Now, when we go out there in the second half, I really want you to stick it to them with Christian love, right? Let's be one. Let's be one. Because if we aren't going to be one, we're going to lose this thing. To my shame, I think I've preached that. A, that really isn't how Paul talks about it at all. Paul doesn't say our mission is completely dependent upon the fact that if you guys don't start getting along and you guys don't start loving one another, you guys don't start doing this, we're not going to win Corinth. We're not going to win Rome. We're not going to win Jerusalem. Guys, we've got to get our stuff together. He doesn't say that. Paul actually believes that like, the mission of the church under the, under the work of God and the direction of the Spirit is going to work. It's kind of an assumption he has in the back of his mind that when Jesus Christ said that on this truth of who I am, the gates of hell are not going to overcome it. The gates of death, probably a better translation. The gates of death cannot overcome the, the mission and the purpose of the church. So we like to, if we're honest... We, we like to try to manipulate or even sometimes be manipulated. Sometimes I like to feel bad when I'm in church so that I can almost get a sense like, like God's doing a work in my heart and in my life. And so I feel bad and I'm going to go and I'm going to get out there in the second half and I'm going to try more. I'm going to be kinder to those around me. I'm going to be more loving to those around me. Um, I'm going to see those that are maybe on the outsides or marginalized, and I'm going to care for them, and then we can make a difference, and then we can. And what's interesting is, is that we can take important truths, like how the world sees us and how we relate to one another. Like, it, it does affect when we preach the gospel. That's true. I'm just telling you. God is not in heaven going, I sure hope they get along. I'm just, I'm stuck. If, if they don't get along, man, I'm not going to win this thing. The Apostle Paul doesn't speak of unity like that. It's not about the, 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 the lowest common denominator, and it's not about like our mission being completely dependent upon it. The Apostle Paul speaks of unity like this. Are you ready for this? Here's your lesson for the day in a nutshell. You are one. You just are. We're not going to vote on it. We're not going to talk about our mission being dependent on it. You just are. I am married. And I'm not more married if I try to be married or less married if I try not to be married. I'm married. Paul says, hey, Jim, you're married. I need you to live in light of the truth that you have a wife. Not... You know, your marriage, no, you're married. I have children. Whether I try to be a dad or not, I have kids. These are statements of fact. So, are you ready? I have given to my, my life in Jesus, to Jesus Christ. I've been united with him in baptism to his death, burial, and resurrection. Like, that's what happened to me. Like, I gave my life to Jesus. 
And so now it's living in light of that decision. And that's what the Apostle Paul is going to be saying to these Christians. So much of our preaching and our teaching is, hey, here's what we need to try, here's what we need to do, and then you get the carrot out in front. Because if you don't, what do we care about? We care about being successful as a church. We won't be successful unless we do this. We won't win the game unless we do this. Paul's, Paul's just trying to be faithful. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he is trying to be faithful. He is trying to live from a truth that already exists. That's why we love to be reminded, and we weren't the first ones to say this. If we remind one another of who we are, like who we are in Jesus, or who we are together, when we remind one another of what is true and what is real, then we'll still have, so therefore we should live like this, but it already comes from a reality that exists. And that's why the Apostle Paul speaks, not we should try to be one, hey, let's work at being one. He actually says, hey, since you are one, let's live from that. Let's live in light of these deeper truths because what can happen to every single one of us, especially in a culture where everything is personalized, everything is individualized, everything is reduced to what I know and to my experiences, and and then I think I'm doing well when I extend it to my wife and to my kids and to my family or to my socioeconomic group or to my whatever category, and we think we've really just emptied ourselves and are living sacrificially, and yet Jesus makes it very clear, everybody lives like that. But people that are devoted to me and are dedicated to me actually see connections that not everybody sees. We see connections to one another. We see connections across geographical bounds. By the way, nobody has said to me, happy Canada Day today. No one. Andrea, any to you? Nothing. Now maybe that's because you hear how many jokes I make about Canada, so it might actually be appropriate. But... See, the beauty of it is, is that when we're here, there is this this incredible recognition that there is something that holds us together, that cuts to the very core of who we are, and it is who we are in Jesus that extends beyond every boundary. So let's live like that. Here's how Paul Paul describes it. Paul says, yet once again, I do not want you to be uninformed. Another way to translate that word uninformed is the word ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant. And although education is not everything, and we cannot solve everything with merely head knowledge, when the Apostle Paul is describing this context of being uninformed or ignorant, he always brings together this idea of here's what we know and then here's how we live and here's what we know and here's what we do and here's what we know and so this is how we feel. It's far more integrated. So the Apostle Paul says in verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant. Now you know that when you were pagans, and if there's one thing we remember, it's our past. Like we know our past so well. Like, I know what I have believed, and I know how I have lived, and if there's one thing that I know that I can count on, 
One thing that I, it's how I feel and it's how I have lived. That's the one thing I know. And it's interesting that the Apostle Paul goes down to this and says, hey, if there's one thing that you know, it's been when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, now before you just start going, well, no, 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 I think you could say that. Okay, that's not what he's saying. He's not arguing that the words could not be said, but he is cutting again to the very core of this idea that when I'm trying to give you biblical truth or someone from here or anywhere in your home at the dinner table is trying to give you biblical truth and we're challenging you to think a certain way, to look at life from a perspective that is God and not mere human, that the work that is happening there is not just a human issue. It's actually like the spirit is involved. That's why like the young people today that are giving their lives to Jesus Christ, it's, it's not just a decision that they're kind of making and this is my choice and I'm a free individual and I can, I can make this choice. Like there's a work of the spirit that is happening. That, that's why... The best, I think the best thing I can do is not study the Greek of the text or the meaning of the text or the historical background of the text, as important as that is, but to get on my knees and pray, and I, I need to do this more for us. Like, God, there are things that I can say, and I can even work on saying them even better. Like, I can find, like, witty ways, and I can find powerful illustrations, and there's nothing wrong with those things. But you know what I can't do? I can't come down and live the text for you. And you can't for me. I just can't. I can present the truth. I can have the truth presented to me. But I can't bring life. I can't make change happen. The Apostle Paul is drawing attention to that. I mean, for those of you that are parents, you know what I'm talking about. For those of you that anyone that you love and you just desire that somehow they would do the biblical thing or do the right thing or even do what you want them to do. What you really realize is like, I'm powerless in this. The Apostle Paul is, is drawing attention. It's interesting. I, I think that in light of the text that he's talking about the body, you know one thing I cannot do? I cannot breathe life into a body. Only God can. So Jesus makes it very, very clear. Like this body that exists, I just want you to know, like no one can say Jesus being cursed if you have the Spirit. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord. And there is a confession of faith, a confession, a declaration, a swearing of allegiance to Jesus. Nobody can say that unless the Spirit is really in them. See, that, that, that goes beyond information. Although information is a part of it, it's necessary, it's just incomplete. That's why if I just teach you or if we just have like a rally about being a, a, a better youth group and we're going to go to Youthquake and we're going to try to be a better youth group and so we can do this and make a difference. And that all it is is using just personal ideas. It's not going to last. So he continues on in verse 4. He says, I want you to know like what's behind it. And what's behind it is God. Like what's behind real transformation is God. It is the same God who empowers everyone. Verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. 
and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. Did you see the connection there? Spirit, Lord, God. Trinity, blessed Trinity. See, what the Apostle Paul does that we wrestle with, um, this is one of the reasons why I really struggle with this concept of balance. What the Apostle Paul is going to do here is he's going to lift up the idea that there are different gifts. There are a variety of gifts. There are different services. There are different activities. And so we go, yeah, there are. There are distinctiveness that all of us have that's different and unique. And then we try to balance that, whatever that means. We try to balance that with the fact that we're one. And as long as we do that... Basically, we we live like this. We spend a lot of our time celebrating our uniqueness, making decisions based upon ourselves. It's about me and it's about us. And I I make myself feel better knowing that next week I'm going to try to remember all of us. So now I'm remembering us. And then I can't wait till tomorrow when I can be like selfish again. Like if I spend a few moments, it's, it's kind of like how much of us manage our family relationships. I'll go home, I'll spend some time with mom and dad, I'll let them know that I care about them, and then I can get back to my life. Because really, in the end, it's, it's balance, right? It's recognizing that I have a, an important time to be selfish and for it to be about me. And as long as I go home at Christmas or when I need something, then I can celebrate them. And this is how we live at church. A Christian sociologist made a very interesting comment about life groups that gather component, life groups in America. And it is just one of the most telling, I've shared it with you before, it's one of the most telling statements ever. But he makes this comment about what it's like to do a life group in an American context, and he says this of American life groups. They become an opportunity for people to focus on themselves in the presence of others. Oh, I wish he was wrong. I just wish he was wrong. But he's right. Like so much of my life group is about me focusing on myself in the presence of others. So much of church is me focusing on myself in the presence of others. But then I pat myself on the back and I say, well, I'm I'm just learning to balance these things. And the Apostle Paul says, no, I really don't think he's about balance. I think he's about integration. I think he's about saying, actually, if you bring these two things together, the very unique, independent, in a sense, like giftedness, um, the, the specific resources that I have and that Andrea and I have, the gifts that Andrea and I or the gifts that the, the Johnson family have, that we use these not for ourselves and then occasionally share, but that we see ourselves fundamentally as part of a bigger picture. We see ourselves fundamentally not as an independently owned and operated franchise, but somehow, like together, kind of like the same God, the same Lord, the same Spirit. It's interesting, I've gotten a lot of this text wrong because I go to it to find out about spiritual gifts. Paul's Assuming spiritual gifts are in there. He's just presuming that's a fact that's going on. What what he's wanting to remind them of is not that they have gifts, but when they use them, when they recognize that they have them, 
that they see where they've come from and therefore how they fit. God is the one who empowers them in everyone. Look at verse 7. So to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Not for my own personal growth and development. Not for my own self-actualization. Not for my own sense of worth or appreciation. One of the most difficult truths to live out is that God saved me, not just for me, but for the body. That God gave me gifts, not just for me, but for the body. For to one is given, through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith, by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing, by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. See, what's interesting is, is that the gifts in this, group, in this listing here are just presumed. What is he underlining? One, same, one, one, same, same, same. Uh, we are, um, we're really, really good. The amazing adventures of missing the point. And do you see what we miss? When we come to church, last week we were warned, do not come to church and come around the table and somehow miss that there are other people around you. What the Apostle Paul is saying, like, I know that you've been given gifts and abilities. I, I need you to remember where they've come from. And not just so that you'll be grateful to God, but they came from one, Father, Son, and Spirit. They came as he has decided, as he has apportioned, as he has manifested, as he has gifted. For what reason? For everybody else. Like that fundamentally changes how I look at me, us. I, we. It fundamentally changes. And that's not something that we need to attain for, for something better. That is just a fact. Then Paul uses this analogy. It's a great Sunday to be reminded of this since we've got a couple baptisms coming up. We were all baptized into one body, not many bodies. That's why I'm not a big fan of getting re-baptized every time you have a new conviction or re-baptized every time you come to a new church. No, we believe that we confess our allegiance to Jesus Christ once and for all, and we are united to him once and for all, and that being united to him means we're actually, buckle up, we're united to one another. And so the real question that Paul's just been putting on our plate over and over and over again, Sunday after Sunday, is this. Like, do you recognize that there is anybody else in the room? And do you recognize, according to today's message, not that you need to just care for them, but that God has given you specific gifts, specific gifts and abilities according to his purpose in the oneness of God for the common good, which means... When you back out, and, and by the way, let, let's find like really, really like good reasons why. Because you're busy. When you're busy and you can't. When you got too much on your plate and so you can't. When you don't recognize the need and so you don't. 
The Apostle Paul says, like, something happens there. When you decide to just pull out, and I can tell you as a dad, when, 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 when I watch my boys as they try to figure out this independence, interdependence, this here is my life and I'm going to start a new family to remind them constantly, but never forget this family. Like truly, I, I do, and the Bible teaches to leave and to then cleave and honor your father and your mother. And I know that it's hard. I know that it's difficult for us to wrestle with like our uniqueness and our, um, our individuality. And Paul uses the words in the text. He gives these gifts to each of us as individuals. Why do you have that gift? For the building up of the body, for the common good? Just, just tell me you're wrestling with that. Like, just tell me that as a follower of Jesus Christ who has the Holy Spirit, who understands the ultimate purposes in life, which is to glorify God, tell me that you see yourself in the shadow of that great truth. Because then you could never just say, man, I, I don't have time to care for those around me. I don't have time to use my gifts. No, we, we realize we make time. Paul says this, for just as one body, verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. He takes these crazy categories, Jew and Greek, slave and free, and says, but when we, when we go into faith in Christ, we come out one. So whatever difference you might have, whatever distinctives that might have, this is why you can't live in this, here's me, and this, here's us. And just move back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's no, it's living in that tension that here is who I am and here is who God has given me, um, the, the, or the gifts that God has given me. Here is how I fit into the body of Christ. Here is where I find meaning and purpose. Here is when I give of myself in ways that are incredibly uncomfortable and awkward and difficult. But I just recognize the fact that when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I became one with his body. Is that on your radar? Is that what you're trying to live out? That's why, do you, do you see why we have the word gather and not life groups or Sunday school? Because it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. It's, it's meeting this, this, this eternal truth. We are in fact one. And who's in charge of this God is, it says in this next section that God arranged the members in the body. So, Again, Paul is, is going to use the famous analogy that the body of Christ is just like a body. Verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. For if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, meaning as God designed it, which he's been doing a lot in this section in 1 Corinthians, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. 
If all were a single member, meaning if all were just one, if all of us just had one gift, if all of us just cared about ourselves, particularly if, God, if we were just had one gift, where would the body be as it is? There are, member, there are many parts, yet there are one body. He goes on to say in verse 21, so the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Like, think of this in the context of a church fellowship. Now, by the way, it has been my experience that we never really say, I have no need of you. That's, I, I'm trying to think of all my years of going to church as a kid and being in part of a number of different congregations. I've never been anywhere where anyone has explicitly said, like, we don't need you here. I mean, that might happen. You might even say, well, that kind of happens when we don't include one another. I get that, and that's probably true. We really do need to have a, a better awareness of what's going on, and we'll see how Paul addresses that. But I want to just take it one step in terms of, like, I think where we're at. And you can tell me if I'm wrong. I don't, do we, I don't think we do a lot of, like, we don't need you. I think we do a lot of, I don't think you need me. Like, I don't think you need me. I don't think you need me to give to the capital campaign. I don't think you need me to be a part of your go gather grow strategy. I don't think you need me to help care for those people. Like, I mean, the majority of people that I meet really are more than willing to help when, when, when asked. That's why I love when we're in staff meetings and someone says, man, I, I can't get anybody to. I love to ask the question, who is the anybody you can't get to? Can't get anybody to volunteer for whatever. Who is, who, who is this anybody? i got to meet this anybody that won't help you. The, the majority of people that I meet in our fellowship really are more than willing to do some pretty amazing things. It's interesting, going back to that statement made that, that life groups, sometimes biblical community, is an opportunity to focus on ourselves in the presence of others. And what's very interesting is, is that when that is true, we fail to, to, to ultimately recognize that ultimate commitment that we should make to one another because as I said, the majority of us, if, if we were to just have the conversation, so many of us would say, actually, I'll, I'll help with that. I, I, I didn't know I was needed. Like it was easier for me. So much of our life is about this. It was easier for me to stay relatively connected. It was easier for me to just keep my, my schedule a little more open. It was just easier for me. It was more convenient for me. And that's why it's good to have a text like this that reminds Jim Johnson, I needed this today, that whether I see it or not, whether I want to admit it or not, like how God looks at this fellowship, it's just different than how I look at us sometimes. And at moments like this, I get to see things the way God sees them. And so even when, when someone seems to say by the, the, the way that they spend their time or the way that they're connecting, I, I just don't feel like I'm necessary, it's important to say, no, you are. Like, no, we need you. Like, like no, in order for us to accomplish the glory of God, not just our mission, but in order for us to accomplish like what God has done already and is doing in us, we need to be more aware and, in, and live our lives in light of that awareness. We can't say that we have no need. He continues on. 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable 
And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts we treat with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, notice the one who's doing it, who's in charge of it. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacks it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care, hold on to that, have the same care for one another. Paul's about to speak another truth. He says this, if one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, then all rejoice together. See, it doesn't say, and if, if one member suffers, we should all try to suffer with them. And if one member is honored, hey, we can piggyback off of that. But what he's actually saying is, is that there is a profound spiritual truth, whether we can recognize it or not, when the body isn't functioning properly. And it's just not the way that God intended. It's not the way that God designed. I know a lot of Christian people that want to just talk about ad nauseum the design of God with men and women, or the design, and all of these other ways, or fight against it. And yet this is, seems to be equally as important. Like, this is how God designed the body, that we would be one. We need to live in light of that truth. Like that's what your baptism signifies. That's what your confession to Jesus Christ signifies. That's what your eating and drinking every Sunday signifies, is that we are one body. To do those things and then to ignore what is going on around us, man, that's just not how a body was designed. My niece, when she was nine years old, was just sitting watching television with her family one day. And just without any kind of like notification or any kind of response, she just started throwing up all over herself. Her dad, who noticed this, said, Allison, get up. What are you doing? And Allison just stood there or sat there unresponsive. Just completely unresponsive. Well, wait, here's not what he said. Oh, it's just kind of weird for a nine-year-old to do. Oh, well, we'll clean her up later. And he started freaking out. He couldn't get her to respond. And then finally when she did respond, she, Dad, I can't see. He didn't go, oh, eyes do that sometimes. We'll just wait it out. Hey, what do you guys want for supper? I might order pizza. No, he freaked out. I remember actually getting the notice. Something's wrong with Allison. Her body's not responding. They take her to a doctor, and the doctor says that what she'd actually had was a grand mal seizure. They diagnosed her with epilepsy. They said that somehow there were these impulses in her brain that so flooded her brain that her body shut down. And nowhere did he go, oh, it's just a body. Oh, it doesn't matter. I, I remember being deeply concerned. I remember thinking that something was wrong. I, I remember like praying that God might heal her. Like that's what we do. When bodies aren't working right, unless you're a man and you say, oh, I don't want to go to the doctor, but a normal person, a normal person when the body doesn't start working right, truly, like a thinking person says, ah, this isn't the way God designed it. Like, tell me you see that, like from this text, that, and not this room, not, not this service, not this day or this hour, but this fellowship is a body 
Tell me you see that. So that's why Paul says, like, when someone is suffering, everybody suffers. When someone is honored, everybody's honored. It's so good for us to remember. Like, that's, a, that's just a fact. Now, I don't know about you. I, I wish my kids would do this, but they never have. I wish my kids would have said, hey, by the way, just want to let you know, in a couple of weeks, you're going to be getting a call from the school. Truth is, I haven't been doing my homework like I should. I've not been doing my assignments. My grades are kind of suffering. But, you know, I was doing well for a while, and so it's more of like this slow skidding into an accident. But I'm just wanting to give you a heads up. They're going to call you and let you know that things aren't going well. No, they never do that. And so when the school calls and I go, hey, what's going on? They're like, what? And here's what's interesting. Something is broken, right? They don't say anything. And it, it still causes the family to suffer. When, when we didn't know that one of our kids was sick. We, we, didn't, we didn't recognize, we didn't really even see the signs that he had diabetes, didn't mean that our family wasn't about to have its whole existence altered. We didn't go, oh, we don't even know what's going on, so we're fine. No, no, no. One of our sons has diabetes, and the whole family is about to, like, suffer because of it. Beginning of every year, I just, I just know that a whole lot of our marriages at this church are not going to make it. I don't know... I mean, I know some, but I, I don't, sometimes just I'm totally surprised. Oh, that's just my marriage. I, I know people that are going to struggle in their faith, and they may not make it. Well, it's not my kids. Oh, okay. Like that. To what Paul is describing here is a, a care and an awareness and so when, when you and I could ever say or live as though we could just say, well, that doesn't really affect me. No, I'm telling you it does. There's a unified connection between all of us that just is. Like, do you see it? And what this text is saying, like, do you feel it? And, and by the way, if you go, nah, I don't feel it. Most likely what I think the Apostle Paul would say is, is then I don't think you're a part of the body. If I hit myself right here with a hammer and you don't feel it, it's because you're not a part of this body, but I promise you this whole body feels it. And when something tragic happens, for whatever reason, to the body of Christ, for those people who go, yeah, it's not affecting me, I think that says something. When something good happens, a young lady gives her life to Jesus Christ and is joined with him in baptism and you don't feel it, that's probably a sign of something. When a young person says, man, I can't wait to go to Youthquake because I'm really, really getting ready to, to give my life more and more to who Jesus Christ is calling me to be and you don't feel anything in that? Like you don't recognize, when someone celebrates, like an incredible, an incredible spiritual giving or life over to Jesus Christ and you don't get anything from that? I'd be concerned. When, when you can come in and out of this fellowship and not really notice it, not really miss anything, 
That's probably not a good thing. The Apostle Paul says, you are the body of Christ. We'll close with this. You are the body of Christ, verse 27. And individually, see, it's real. There's an individual aspect. And individually, members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various gifts of tongues. Are all apostles? The expected answer is no. Prophets? No. Teachers? No. Working all kinds of miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Paul says, but I want you to desire the greater gifts. Like, do you recognize that there is something that God is doing in all of us? Can you see it? Can you feel it? Do you know it? And then do you live in light of that truth? This morning, I hope that you walk away from this text, not my sermon, but from this text and say, God, make me more aware. Convict me where I am not getting a real um, from you perspective of who I am in the body of Christ. When people are suffering, teach me to suffer with them, for them, alongside them. God, when people are celebrating, I mean, honestly, that's why there are so many good things that are happening at Sunnybrook. I wish you could experience them with us. And there are so many difficult things happening at Sunnybrook. I know this sounds crazy. I wish you could experience them with us. Paul's final words prepare us for next week. 1 Corinthians 13, you know the chapter, right? They call it the love chapter. It's the one everybody likes to use at weddings. Interestingly enough, it's not for a wedding that Paul gives this. It's for a church. Hey, you guys can have gifts and you can learn all that you need about the fact that you are one. But Paul ends this whole section. He says this, but I will show you a more excellent way. Like, I, I want you to get that what is sometimes missing is not just information but it's the natural result of having that information, which is love. A love that we have for one another, which just falls in this incredible shadow of God's amazing love for us. And so I pray that you get a deeper sense of who you are in Jesus Christ and that you can't take a step in any direction without recognizing you're part of a family. Let's pray. God, thank you for the reminder of this text and of this time. And may God, may we give you glory and honor. May we care alongside of those around us. May we love alongside of those around us. And Father, may we do more than just try to be one. May we see your plan and purpose and follow you faithfully. It's in Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen.